Okay, check, check. Hello, hello, hello. All right, let's see what Kato's got in store for me. <clears throat> I'm going to open the email here. Email. This is my Mintrax assignment. Lydia Loveless. Hmm, interesting. Girl Ray, Earl Grey. Uh, I certainly know her name. I can see maybe like a poster of her on the wall when I used to work at uh, this record store, Let It Be, in downtown Minneapolis a long time ago. That could be some total weird association. So uh, this is great. This is exciting because certainly, like I said, I've heard of her, but uh, we'll just have to see how it goes. I feel like I've heard of that, but I don't remember. But it rhymes. Welcome to Mintrax, the dueling album review show about expanding your musical horizons. I'm your host, Matt Helgeson. Jason Daphnis is here. Hi, Matt. Hey, Jason. I'm, I'm just a little sad thinking about how it's going to be hard to top this episode of Mintrax because, boy, we got an all-timer. Exactly. <laughs> a very old friend, old colleague, Matthew Cotto, just recently late of Game Informer Magazine and GameInformer.com. How are you, Cotto? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. Thanks yeah, for having me great. on. Yeah, that's great. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, now that, you know, I realize this, Kato, now that you're gone, Andy's gone, I'm gone. There's only one, Reiner's the only guy left that worked in Eden Prairie. Yeah, and I only so, worked at Eden Prairie for a very, very short time, but I certainly got a, yeah. a flavor of that. That was just a different <laughs> different world. You guys had to be in like a, you and Justin were in like a closet or something, but you didn't even get to be in the room. Yeah, I yeah. Remember, was it? There was still some, I think there was some like mouse or rat holes down at the bottom of the drywall, but um, oh my yeah. God, dude. That office was so disgusting. Oh, that could be a whole podcast in itself, but we, we don't have time for that. Um, so, Kato, uh, Kato, you left and now you're doing uh, some video game consulting uh, in the industry, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's, it's a lot of fun. Awesome. Kind of uh, probably seeing the other side of the, the other side of the coin, so to speak, I would imagine from being a journalist. Yeah, yeah, it's a little different, but, uh, you know, it's just great to be in the industry still. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, well, we're glad things are going well. Um, yeah, this one was hard when, uh, yeah, I had the hardest time because I think we've talked about music so much. I was kind of like, damn, it was hard for me to come up with a, a pick for you because, like, in the office, we used to talk, talk music all the time. And, like, we've talked about so much stuff that I like. So I had to, I was struggling with this one for a minute. Um, but I was very excited. We're going to get into your pick, which I uh, I very much enjoyed. I think Jason very much enjoyed this as well. Good. Um, and uh, it's Girl Ray, the album Earl Grey. So uh, there are. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Are they from England? <laughs> they, I think they're from England. They are indeed from know. England. Uh, they seem like they're from England. Only, but you can't tell sometimes nowadays. I only laugh just because, you know, most of the bands I like are from England. Um, but yeah, they're from uh, London. Um, I, I've seen different things. They're saying either North London or they're based in Brighton, which is south of London. But either way, they're definitely, definitely English. Um, and it kind of comes from that um, school, you know, as you know, Matt, um, where it's like you hear a lot of hype about, you know, an English band and sometimes you might just kind of roll your eyes and be like, okay, whatever, you know, there's, there's always a flavor of the week over there. But, um, you know, for me, it really did kind of come out of some hype and kind of out of the blue and that kind of whole, 
you know, you really got to hear these guys. I can't even remember how that came about per se, but they, you know, had a few singles and stuff um, and just really kind of took off. Yeah. And it's funny, um, which we could probably in a second here play the, the first track. So I think it's a good intro to um, just like that, the first song. But like the minute I heard it's like, oh, my God, this is such a Kato band. Because it was basically like the first song the way it starts. I was like, oh, God, this is like Stereo Lab doing like the Beach Boys, basically. Um, it just totally had that kind of awesome, like, I don't know, just an awesome vibe, I thought, right right from the get-go. And I just, uh, yeah, just and they have that sort of like jangly kind of like mid-80s kind of like English kind of jangle pop thing going on. And just it just seemed like a lot of things that you like kind of together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, one of the references I hear a lot about for some of the, the jangly or even, dare I say, sort of twee um, British bands is C86, which um, was – you know, before my time, I didn't really get into a lot of English music really until like the Manchester late 80s era. So this was kind of like a, a thing before that, maybe, you know, post Smiths, but pre Manchester. Mm-hmm. So um, in some ways, it's an interesting, it's a callback to an era I didn't really get into the first time around, but I, I certainly recognize it's sort of reverberations uh, in English music since then. Yeah, we should probably back up to C86 for people that don't know was I believe that was a compilation cassette that um, NME, the New Music Express in England made. Was that, I think that was it? That's what I understand. Sort of a compilation of a bunch of like bands. So, um, and it was very kind of influential, I think, in the English sort of indie rock underground of that time. And, and, you know, I totally heard a lot of that stuff. You know, I don't know if that was like stuff like Aztec Camera or like Orange Juice, that kind of stuff. so let's let's hear the first song because I, I think this like it's a great song. Um, I think it sets it up the album and the and just their sound really well. It's called Just Like That. So, I mean, I think this, you know, I think this pretty much defines their sound to a certain degree. I mean, I think they go on different, you know, kind of left turns on this album. But, yeah, they just, I mean, one thing about this record I just, like, that stood out to me is, like, I like how it sounds. It's a really good sounding record. I just like how they arrange stuff. I like their instrument sounds. I like the way they sing. 
I think their harmony vocals and, and some of their vocal arrangements are really creative. Um, I think they have, yeah, they just, they just put, put their stuff together very well and very, I think, cleverly for stuff that's kind of on its surface, pretty simple. Yeah. You know, I think I've seen, you know, different, um, reviews or it's easy to, to, to initially pick it up and think, okay, it's, it's lo-fi. It's, um, you know, obviously the guitar tones and some of the stuff comes through pretty clear. It makes it sound as if it's like a, you know, like you said, sort of a real simple production, but, um, the thing that I also love about the production is that it, it keeps some of that, but it also, it's not, it's not really as simple as it seems in some parts. I mean, they use like obviously piano, there's electric keyboard in there at some time. I think there's like a glockenspiel or like a church organ that comes in at different parts of the, the, um, the record. So I think while it keeps, it has that simple and sort of immediate sound and even maybe kind of a light sound, um, there's actually more in there than, than maybe you might think sometimes. Yeah, no, totally agreed. And actually, and then they, I mean, I'll do this next one because like they also throw in a few things that sometimes feel like atypical for what they are. And this next, it's kind of funny. This next song, um, Cutting Shapes, actually reminded me of a band that's totally way out. But I swear this riff on this song kind of reminds, it's like almost like a twee English like take on like a yes riff. <laughs> Um, like the prog band, because I, it, but it just totally reminded me of Yes for some reason. So let's listen to Cutting Shapes, because this is a really great riff, and uh, I think it's it's just a well written song as well. I could go tomorrow and see you, see your hair and see your clothes, and if you miss me too, all my friends say that's just one night. Something about that, like the way the riff is like with the keyboard kind of like, <laughs> yes, in some weird way. I mean, way less, you know, like uh, chopsy or whatever, sure. but I don't know. It has a weird 70s vibe to that riff, but uh, I like it too. And that main groove also gets to something I really, um, really liked a lot is that, um, like, you know, none of them are, I would say, like virtuoso players, um, I would say, but I think they have really good, they get really good grooves going, and I think they're really, um, they know how to kind of play within their own abilities really well. And um, yeah, I don't know. They seem like just a really smart band, the way that they kind of put things together, even if it's not like 
on its surface the most um, complex or difficult music to play? Yeah, you know, I I think naturally, uh, not that I've read you know everything about them, but you know, it's naturally I've seen articles talk about um, the lead singer and slash guitarist. Her name is uh, Poppy, I believe. Um, so I don't really know exactly how you know they sit around and, and write songs per se, but one of the things that you know, strikes me every time I listen to them is just how much fun it seems to be. Like the bassist is having, you know, sort of free to do you know what she wants to do, but like you said, very much within the, the structure of the song. And so it it just seems like however they put the pieces together or, or come up with their parts or whatever um, that you know the bassist in particular, I think you know, has plenty of freedom to do, you know, what she wants to do. And it, it definitely all works. Yes, definitely. I mean, I, the bass is really good. Actually that I'm going to skip ahead here because there's a, um, let's see, there's a song called, uh, a few months. Oh yeah. And there's a couple re- this is a, I think one of the better and more creative songs. So I think there's a cool transition that starts. There's kind of two cool transitions. One is Jason about 35 seconds. Uh, and like this totally kind of goes from a pop thing at this point, almost into like this really dark, almost kind of gothy thing that it actually reminded me a little bit of like, I don't know if you ever listened to those, like those early Nico solo records. Um, but it kind of remember, reminded me of that a little bit. And then, and then at the, then there's another one at 240 that is a really awesome kind of almost disco break. from some of the tone of her voice to the atmosphere, I know what you mean. This part is so good. Yeah. Jason, I'm going to bring you into... Oh, yeah. This is almost like... like what, what does that remind you of? One of your faves. That's, that's a, a fucking long, doobies. Long train, yeah, that's a fucking doobies line, line, isn't it? 
<laughs> like that, 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 dude. We like rewind that break. Go to the, that's at two forty. <laughs> that's very like long train running. I mean, it's a little like slower. I want to break out a good uh, Michael McDonald impression and just <laughs> free bop over it. <laughs> Where would you be now? <laughs> very easily, and like it's the it's the 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 motion, right? It's less than the actual chord like structure. It's how they're using the groove. I love that so much. I didn't catch yeah. that the first no, time listening to this, but that is such a good callback. It's good. You know, I, so Cato, here's this kind of a, the doobies are kind of a running joke because I, it was like when I first started working with Jason at our last agency we were working at. I was like, we were going to go to this award show together. And I was like, oh, Jason's like, what, what's a young, hip millennial man listen to in, you know, 2017 or whatever. And then we get in the car and he's totally playing like the Doobie Brothers greatest hits. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. All right. The kids are all right. You called me out for it too. We had a guest in the car no, and you no. were like, you're listening to the Doobie Brothers? Is this hey. taking it to the streets? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but anyway, I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't overshadow uh, Girl Ray here because that's a really good group. But uh, I did, did, uh, I did pick up on that long train running kind of vibe to that, which I, I really like. But I like, see, that that is one of the coolest things about this band is because Kato, as you know, like, these type of kind of, you know, from that more twee edge of, like, English, um, you know, indie bands, they always kind of run the risk of being, like, it's a fine line, it's that knife edge of being, like, a cool vibe and being, like, too samey sometimes. Sure, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of those, you know, like, just a lot of those bands, like, they kind of have their thing and like they don't really you know break out of it that much and i think the one thing i like about girl earl gray or sorry earl gray girl ray um is that they they throw enough like atypical things like that is not something i don't think you would expect on a record like this and that part before with the kind of like almost funeral kind of organ thing so i think that's like that's a really one of the things i, I really appreciated about this you know um I, I'd take that to, you know, even a, a different extreme in the sense that they had a second record and I was super, super excited um, for it. And it came out or there was a single that came out for it. And um, I, I'm just trying to think of the record's name and it's totally spaced it. But it came out in the last year and it is pretty, pretty different in the sense that it just goes for kind of the modern pop um aesthetic so it's got oh, like synths really? all over it and stuff and you know some of the songs oh. you can definitely hear that it's you know it's them and that you can you can hear the songwriting and stuff but it's just slathered in this totally different you know modern production and you know obviously i was disappointed because i wanted you know i, I thought it was just going to continue on and you know maybe you know evolve certainly but um but at the same time you know, I was actually very happy only in the sense that like, say, Hey, this second record isn't for me, but I'm glad they're just going for it. I'm glad they're just going to be like, you know what, we're going to do whatever it is we want to do. We don't want to put out just a second record that sounds similar to first, kind of like to what you're mm -hmm. talking about in terms of exploring different things. And so I was actually really happy for it. Mm -hmm. There's a couple tracks after that I actually, I, I've, you know, bought. And so I listened to those, but honestly, I find most of the second record to be kind of unlistenable to be honest with you oh wow but interesting yeah i mean like you can tell the songs are there but it's just it's just like i, I can't i can't get down with you know the yeah the synth stuff. maybe the current crowd really likes it and thinks it's great or something i don't know but uh huh but but you know i said like i said it's like i'm happy for them it's like yeah let's go out and do whatever do whatever the hell you want to do you know it's, it's right yes yeah. and no, that's that's interesting sometimes i have a thing with albums like that too where like I just am invested in it being a certain way and it's not. Yeah. And then maybe like 
I don't know, like three years later, I'll just kind of put it on for some random reason. I'll be like, oh, like, you know what I mean? This is this is better than I remember it kind of thing. It, it doesn't always happen, but sometimes it's like I, I'm I'm super invested that it's got to be the service. You know, I don't know, like my expectations are, are weird or something. Yeah, I think it's I think it's worth mentioning here, too, that at the time of the record that we're listening to Earl Grey, uh, I think these band members were like 19 and 20 years old. Like Jesus. they were, I, I guess they're still sort of at the beginning of their career even even two albums in now they're like, what, 22, 23. Uh, and that that's just astonishing to me. One that they've got such like a completed sound, even if it is like both of you guys mentioned pretty amateurish in a lot of ways. Uh, they're like their artistic intent is sort of outstripping what they can do on an instrument, which I think is a really interesting place to be as a band. But yeah, to Kato's point, the um, just the notion of them like having a sound that changes so drastically album to album. I'm sure that that had even out along the course of a career, but you know, listening to what's basically like French Brit pop uh, and then Calvin Harris inspired beats. I read, I read a piece that was like the lead songwriter Poppy was, uh, was listening to a lot of like modern funky pop and thought, I want to be part of this. I want to try test my skills in that direction. So just as context, like they're young, they're experimenting a lot with their sound. I think it's really like, I haven't listened to too much of the album myself, but I find it really interesting that like they've got, while they can, they're trying out new things with their sound. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and then God, given their age, I mean, maybe, you know, they're like 23 and they want to be doing stuff that like people there, their yeah. age are like more into as well. You know what I mean? Like not just like, you know, 1986, like bands from like, you know, Liverpool or whatever, but, um, uh, yeah, I you know I I will push back a little bit, Jason. I don't I don't feel like it's an amateurish record. I feel like it's their, you know, I, I just I think they're good musicians in the sense that they have good ideas and they execute them well. I just I mean I just I, but I, it doesn't feel sloppy to me. I don't think it's a sloppy record. Oh no, I, I feel like it, no, it's, it's pretty. No, when I use the term amateurish, I'm not I'm not trying to you know dig what they can do, but like it like you said, it appears a lot simpler on the surface. You know, you hear that opening riff and you're like, okay, they're going for x thing and then as it goes on i mean this album peaks i think peaks with a 13 minute just jam which is yeah maybe my favorite <laughs> favorite cut on the record and that like flies in the face directly of of seeing them as like too young or like not not realized in what they're trying to do that so yeah i mean yeah well well i, I use mean the, well i use the buzzword amateurish yeah i, I just, I just, just want to like, push back because like i mean to me like i would much rather have a band that has limited chops and like good ideas than like the reverse in my, you know, for me. Yeah. Um, and I think they have good ideas. And I think, um, you know, to, to add just some more context, you know, obviously you guys are certainly aware of this. I mean, there's just like a lot of young bands, a lot of English bands, a lot of bands with hype and things like that. You know, it's, you get a few singles, you want to charge out of the gate, you want to take on the world and, you know, um, you know, leave no prisoners or whatever. It's easy just to be like, you know what, we're just going to run rough shot over this thing with our youth and our exuberance and we're just going to, you know, we're going to uh, bluff our way and pantomime our way or whatever to the top and see it all the time. And this is, you know, I think, you know, as we're kind of saying, I think is reads is a lot more sophisticated than, you know, than just, oh, OK, these guys, you know, found some old cassette tapes and, you know, they just decided, hey, let's just go form a band or whatever. Um, it, it definitely feels a lot more, sounds a lot more uh, sophisticated than, than that. And I would say, yeah, even you know one thing like you know you were talking about the 13 minute sort of opus in the middle 
Um, you know, obviously some of these um, songs are released as singles, you know, to begin with and what and whatnot. But if anything, I'd say, you know, I love some of the experimentation on the record, you know, relative experimentation on the record. Uh, and I would see even maybe the one of the, the small detriments you could say that I think needs to be pointed out is even like the sequencing I'd see as, see as the one sort of negative of the record in the sense that I think when you get to the end, um, you like where the songs, you like where it's been, but I think maybe they could have just sequenced the whole thing just a little differently. And as a matter of fact, like mm-hmm. the, the last song, it's called like a bonus track. It's called trouble is a, you know, is a great, great song, but it almost feels like, you know, however they were doing it, they were looking at it and it's like, look, we can't, quote peter out i mean i like the, the the second to last song it's called waiting for ages and i really like that song but if you would imagine that being the last song in the whole record it almost sounds like trouble the bone the quote bonus track unquote almost sounds like a like an answer to that like well we might we should go on yeah. like a high so let's just give this people the single that they know and they can we can end the record so that's just kind of the one nitpick i would have with the record sure yeah i would say it doesn't end as strong as it starts in the middle um it's funny though we we should probably get into the like the big opus which is funny because one thing I've been trying to do the last few episodes is that um for like the first few days after I get to pick I'm really just trying to like throw the record on while I'm like at home and like doing dishes or like in the car and not re- just sort of listen to it just just around and not really be super paying attention to it just to kind of get the vibe of it so I actually didn't really <laughs> Until I started to get to the point where I was like, oh, I'm going to like listen to this, take notes and things. I didn't really realize like that was like one song. I kind of thought that that was like a couple different songs because I was sort of just, you know, I don't know, listening kind of very casually at that point. So I was really surprised when I like was looking at Spotify. I was like, Jesus Christ, this is like 11 minutes long. <laughs> but, um, but it is a cool song. I mean, you know, I think it works surprisingly well for me, at least. I think, I think it, they have enough you know, changes to it. And there's a couple of specific moments, but I don't know if we, Jason, you just want to like throw on, this is Earl Grey, uh, stuck in a groove, which is sort of the title track, I guess. No one to see. Nowhere to go Sick of myself Never so love I built things up And honey shuts them down Yeah, the backing vocals in this album are really good.
Yeah, so there's kind of several transitions in the song <laughs> that, you know, almost seem like kind of distinct pieces, which is really, I mean, but it's impressive that it's also like, it's really brave to kind of do something like this long. And I think it works really well. And it's also very like low key. Because usually when you do sort of epic, you tend to like, I mean, it definitely at the end, it gets a little more expansive, but it, it's, I think it's hard to kind of do that. And I think they actually accomplish that pretty well. Do you, do you have like a piece from the end? You can just kind of give yeah, a sample. Well, there's to... one, there's, there's two parts. One is like a thing that I like. And Jason, you're more school, you know, schooled on music than I am, but it's almost like, like a round, like a choral round where like people start the oh, same thing yes. at different times, which I, I'm like a big fan of that. I don't really know why I am, but. And then, yeah, so let's go to, let's go to, um, 610 and then around, like, just play it through like 720. There's like really going back to the bass, uh, player. There's a really awesome kind of climbing bass part then, which I really, I love that. You know what I'm saying? Like I was in a church choir when I was a kid and we, they made us do this stuff. Well, not like this, but (laughs) you weren't singing contralto and soprano. No. (laughs) But you know this stuff, or you know what I'm no, talking about, right, Jason? Yeah, I mean, I think, I'm sure that there's a more descriptive word, but round is right, right? Like, they start the same line. It's the kumbaya thing. Yeah. Kato, do you know if that's just one uh, vocalist's voice? Or if uh, they're, are they, like, layering her voice? Or are they all sort of getting in on it? I'm not sure about that. That's actually one of the things I was thinking about, you know, in terms of whether they, you know, just use the lead singer's voice. I don't know about for this song in particular, but I have read that they all do sing and contribute. Uh, and I'm not sure if that was just like a live, uh, a comment about live performances or, um, you know, on which tracks, but I do know they can all sing and they all contribute. starts to build up here in a really cool way. Ascending and descending line, Matt. Yeah, this, I love this that. bass. That's awesome. It's great. It's a perfect example of what you're saying about like. I think of Rick Danko of the band, who was Ooh. like a, a competent bassist and got better as he went. But like ultimately, it boiled down to can he play interesting eighth notes? <laughs> and if he can, oh, he's yeah. doing exactly what Danko. he needs to do with that. Yeah, with, with that uh, iconic sound in this band, it's very much the same thing. Like she doesn't need to be doing really uh, slaps or you know really intricate fills just like hold it down and that's exactly <laughs> what she's doing right I was watching a I watched a video performance of this group uh, I think it was Audio Tree from a few years back where they were playing songs off this record and I swear to god I don't think the camera ever caught her doing an up pick on the bass she plays with a pick and I thought man just the stamina needed to push all the time down on the, on the, yeah. on the bass pick that was Some of those metal cool. dudes, like Slayer, I think Slayer disavows the upstroke totally. 
really? <laughs> yeah, like some of the some of those metal, like super metal bands, like it's like they don't feel like it's heavy enough. I think disavowed is probably there's probably a stronger word that they would use, a little more yeah. emphatic word. They like you know. <laughs> cast it into the pit of hellfire. <laughs> you know, Jason, I think I was watching a, uh, one of those, uh, a video from a similar sessions, and do you know what kind of bass she uses? I just, I'm not I, necessarily like a, you know, a, a, a gearhead or equipment uh-huh. uh, expert or anything, but I just, I instantly noticed it. I'm like, oh, that's not something I've seen before. Yeah, actually, I'm glad you asked, because I was curious too. I knew it was Dan Electro. Uh, it's a Dan Electro 53, which has been made for a number of years, I guess. Uh, but it is very oh, yeah, much yeah. that, like, it's got a skinny little headstock, um, very, like, slick, matte black coloring. It's a really cool-looking uh, bass. Yeah, those are, like, basically plastic. Yeah, it's it's part of that, like... They, they weigh, like, they weigh, like, nothing. It looks beautiful. They have those lipstick pickups, like, the lipstick pickups, yeah, like, the yeah. silver look. Very much ones. that. Sweet. Yeah, it's, actually, uh, you remember what kind of bass, what kind of bass did she play? What do you mean? Do you know what kind of bass she played, or what... Electric Dan Electro. Oh, that, that, oh yeah, that's that's the bass. It was a bass. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I, thought you meant the I think as far as guitars, they play Tellys and stuff. But yeah, man, what, it, what a nice looking, and it fits perfectly the vibe of what they're doing, right? It looks very much 1960s, uh, up on a round circular stage that that rotates type vibe on it. I love that thing. <laughs> the Roadhouse, the <laughs> <A> Roundhouse. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't know, man. It's from before roundhouse. my time. Yeah, the Roundhouse. It's Pink Floyd. Place. It used to be a train, like a train station, right? There, like, a, what do they call it? A turnip? I call it by Roundhouse, right? Where you go in. And the train yeah, I think it was where the trains would like get transferred to different tracks. That's right. Dude, Kato, I just read Nick Mason from Pink Floyd's by autobiography, <laughs> so I'm all I'm all up on that. You know, I think uh, you mentioned um, just real quickly on Poppy, um, the lead singer and the guitarist. I'd, I'd seen a, a, um, a series where they were talking up literally about like. Fender guitars and stuff, and um, kind of circling back to another point, you know, there was that earlier song, uh, A Few Months, which we played a, a clip of earlier, and it kind of goes into, like, you mentioned the Doobie Brothers and stuff, and I always thought of it, yeah, as like this like, kind of funk disco sort of breakdown, and one of the things I was reading, and someone um, mentioned, I think it was either in that Fender video or it was somewhere else where they mentioned um, Now Rogers, uh, which I don't. Honestly, I only know, I only know his, I, you know, know he's, you know, famous guitarist and stuff, but I only know his name just in relation to Johnny Marr being like a huge fan and them having a mutual yeah. appreciation society. Um, but in terms of the guitar that Poppy uses and that particular kind of uh, funky kind of breakdown and stuff like that, it's, um, again, sort of talking to some of the different styles that the group's able to bring in and just the musicianship um, and how that, you know, adds to the songs. Yeah, no, that that's now Rogers. Well, he he did Let's Dance with Bowie. He probably heard that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He produced that. Cato, you mentioned write, uh, writing ages. Um, I thought that that was a cool song. I had I had marked down one sixteen on that, and I don't remember why, but I'm sure I have a good <laughs> reason for it. Oh, 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 oh,
this some of this kind of almost it was like almost Carol King or uh, sorry, not Carol King. Yeah, Carol yeah, King. Carol King. Yeah, kind of vibe. Yeah, I think um, the the uh, I'm spacing, but the third track on the record to me, it's one was a single, and it's got uh, that's what immediately struck me very much of a Carol King, um, just classic songwriting vibe. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, stupid things. So let's, yes. let's check that one out too, because that had a very like yeah, kind of almost. Uh, Carol, yeah, Carol King, uh, kind of spacing on her name. Uh, damn it. Stone Soul Picnic. What the heck was that? Oh, Laura Nero. Mm. Oh, yeah, sure. I'm so down. Yeah, this is very tapestry. Mm-hmm. I've come around. Ooh, now I'm fine. Jason, what is that jump when she said, I found mine, and, you know, she kind of goes up by steps? Is that kind of a progression? What, what is that? Is that called something in particular? I got to hear it again. Um, there's a lot that she that she does in this song. She's got, like, a lot of escape tones. Okay, so this is later, Jason. I felt it would be actually helpful to answer Kato's question. Uh, ben, please don't hate me for doing this. Or do. Whatever. So if there's a term for whatever the vocalist is doing there, I don't know it. Uh, but what I do know is that the song is in F major, and it starts in kind of a weird place on an A minor chord. That's the minor three of the key of F. And uh, sort of moves chromatically up and down that with the melody um, moving diatonically. So chromatic and diatonic at the same time. It's a fun kind of clash. Uh, what the vocalist does on that specific line, the I found mine, um, is outlining a D minor chord, the relative minor of the key of F. Uh, and with mine, she lands on a D natural, which is part of the G minor chord that's playing underneath the, her voice at that time. What that means is she's kind of dancing diatonically around the swaying chromatic chord progression, and the way that she's outlining that chord feels kind of fun and fluid, but sad and impermanent at the same time. If someone listening has a better answer, please tweet me at Nintendoofus, because I want to know. In and out of, like, the chord. Uh, I have to listen back to that exact line to tell you. Yeah, I feel like this could have been like a hit in like 1974 or something. You know what I mean? Just has a very good. You know what kills it for me? It not kills it like bad. Kills it like good. Uh, Is how tight those harmonies are on every note. You know, I, mm-hmm. I grew up in a household where my mom was in love with Crosby, Stills, Nash, uh, the Beatles, uh, the Almond Brothers, obviously the Doobies, where there's a lot of really great tight harmony work going on. Um, and like, there are a lot of things that they could be doing in this song to just like keep the melodies or harmonies flat or, you know, like play around with them and make them a little simpler to follow. This is really tight throughout the whole album, uh, which is why I'm yeah. curious about like whose voice that is, if it's just her <laughs> tracked or if like the whole group is getting in live. Cause when I was watching a live video, I didn't see uh, any of them like joining in on harmony, but maybe I just didn't catch it. It's really good in any case. Yeah. That's kind of a lost art too. I mean, I feel like bands, new rock bands don't have that. You generally, well, you know what I mean? Cause I, Go ahead. Well, I'm, I'm sorry. I just wanted to say I was uh, kind of bagging on the second record earlier. Um, and I did think of a positive thing to think about it, which is that as much as it's a pop record, as much as it's a modern pop record, um, <laughs> they don't do auto tune or anything like that, which obviously would have been a total, uh, even a further sort of dive into, into stuff that I, I despise. But um, I would say that, you know, you know, and, and Poppy doesn't have, you know, the world's, um, 
I guess, most commercial voice, I guess you could say. Um, but I would say that, yeah, at least for the second record, they didn't do auto-tune or anything like that. So that's good. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think I love her tone. She kind of reminds me, like, the reason I brought up Stereo Lab, she kind of reminds me of Letitia Sadler. Oh, a little sure, bit. yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I just think because in the old days, you know, like a band like the Beatles or the, probably the Doobie Brothers, like, they had to come up, like, you know, playing bars five nights a week and they had to do covers of, like, Motown shit. You know yeah. what I mean? Just because, like, people wanted to, like, have fun at a bar, you know, before they ever even got to the point where they were doing original music. So I think those bands back then would just learn, like, they had to learn harmony singing, right? Because it was sort of like a job. It wasn't just, you know, you're an artist right away kind of thing. You had right. to sort of, like, go through that whole circuit. Which is why, like, it's interesting to think now today, it's mostly relegated to, like, the rhythm musician or, you know, somebody in backup who's handling harmonies rather than like a dedicated other singer for that. You know, you look at uh, Chicago and like three or four of those guys are singing at any given time and they're all like way up in the register. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's great. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I like I said, I, I really enjoyed this album. Um, I think the last one I wanted to um, play was Preacher from the beginning. Um, I think this song, they use space very well as a band, I think, and restraint. And I think that, you know, this song from the beginning to the point where it kind of kicks in, I mean, kicks in, I mean, it's not like, you know, ACDC or anything, but, you know, uh, relative speaking, kicks in. Um, I just think, it, you know, it just illustrates that they they understand dynamics and, um, you know, structure very well. It took so long, but she came You make me strong I've never known someone Who can pick me up without falling themselves Why does that jump out to you, Matt? Aside from the fact that it just know, gets think, so much more full. Yeah, it is, I mean, it just has a nice groove. And I mean, you mentioned the band, actually. That, the drums here kind of run me of the Leave on Helm kind of, you know, just very oh, yeah. like in the groove kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. And it's just a really good chord change and the use of piano, um, I think, is really cool. But yeah, just overall, I think they always just find the right kind of sound for the, the moment in the song. You know what I mean? And, and sort of... I don't know. They have a good in, they have good instincts for when to like sort of change things up. I don't you know I don't think I've ever looked to see who actually produced the record. I don't know you know so obviously I don't know if that person has any background if they did it themselves or anything like that. We'll do some research. We'll get back to the listeners. Hold on. 
Girl Ray's Earl Grey was recorded at Big Jelly Studios inside of a former chapel in Ramsgate, a seaside town in Kent, England. It was produced primarily by Mike Collins, who's known for playing, composing, and producing with acts since the 1960s, including Arizona rock group Superfine Dandelion, Boston punk outfit Thrills, and Eric Clapton of Cream. According to AllMusic, vocalist Poppy Hankin and instrumentalist Mike O'Malley also contributed to production. <laughs> but um, I don't know, Kato, is there anything else? I mean, I think, uh, I think we've covered it pretty well. Is there any other songs we didn't? I mean, we listened to most of the songs. Is there any one that we didn't touch on that you feel strongly about? Um... You know, I don't think so. I mean, I, I think, you know, we certainly um, gone over the, the excellent musicianship and, and I think their, their songwriting um, chops and just sort of instincts, as you said. Um, and I guess, you know, for me, um, you know, you know, Matt knows this where like there's generally not a lot kind of new that I like. And as much as I'd fallen a lot of English music and the English music scenes through the years, I've kind of fallen off. And so this to me, these guys to me really mark the, they really put down a flag in the sense that like these are one of the few bands and let's say I'd say for me the last 15 to 20 years or 10 to 15 years or so where it's like it's a starting point for me and it's a band that I absolutely instantly took notice of and I could see the potential um, and I know that they've got a bright future um, and so you know as we're before when you're younger you know like every band's your favorite band and stuff like that um, that doesn't happen a lot these days. And so, you know, when I heard this record, it absolutely sort of jolted me, um, which is nice to have when you're, when you're old and you think you've heard a lot and um, you, you find something new. Yeah, no, it's all, I mean, it's a great record. I'm, I'm, like I said, me and Jason were talking about how much we were, we were digging it this week. Um, so, Girl Ray, Earl Grey, um, check it out. It's a great record, as you could hear. Um, now we're going to switch to my pick, which is kind of funny because I think Spotify is an interesting thing because, um, I didn't really think of this record as like one of my favorite records of the past couple of years. But then I was like, you look at my Spotify stuff and I've like listened to this record a lot, but I never really thought about it as like, I was like, wow, I, I guess I really do like this record. And so then I was listening to it and I'm like, I really like this record. Um, it's by a, a singer songwriter. Her name is Lydia Loveless. Um, she, has been around for a while. I mean, she, she's still only 29. I believe she's working on her fifth album, um, coming up soon here. She kind of came from the alternative country scene. Um, you know, if you, you know, people like, you know, Sturgill Simpson or, or people like that. Um, and you know, this record is her most recent, I think it's about two or three years old. It's called real. And this was a little bit of a change for her. The album before this, something else is also very, very good. Um, it, but it's much more country um, than this is. Uh, this she was starting to kind of, I think she's starting to branch out a little bit in some, even some sounds of the '80s in, in some of this stuff. But I mean, I think that her voice and her songwriting still has sort of a very country core to it. Um, and yeah, I just, I mean, I'm a big fan. I think she's, um, I think she's pretty impressive, uh, just in terms of her vocals and her lyrics and songwriting. So I was kind of curious what you think of. I know you're not like super into country ish stuff um but i thought i don't know i thought maybe you'd dig some of it i don't know so did you well uh just to back up i'm sure you guys have heard the intro uh you know where i was going through and was uh reading the email the submission or whatever um and it's funny because before then you know i mentioned to jason he was like okay here's how it's gonna go and you're gonna get this email and stuff like that and i thought man if he gives me trout mask replica or some ween like 
that's going to be like an act of aggression. Like I'm going to take that personally as in like you've, you know, you've come out to, to hurt me. Uh, and Dude, we should, we should do a beef art special with you. I mean, you, I could understand from a certain sense of like, okay, like take me to school. You know, I, I certainly understand that, uh, or I have a somewhat understanding of that record's position in uh, music history and stuff. I don't begrudge it that, but, but anyway, but then right before I was going to, uh, open the email and I thought, okay, you know what? I know what it's going to be. I had a solid, solid prediction. I thought it was going to be Emmett Rhodes because he just passed away. And I know that uh, we've talked yeah. before about, you know, his kind of. Um, yeah, I, I actually did think about that. I did think about that. But I'm like, you know, we talked about that a lot. I know you're a huge fan. I kind of wanted to like see what you'd react to something maybe you hadn't heard or that was a little bit out of your wheelhouse. But I still thought there were maybe elements that would appeal to you in terms of the. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, yeah, I'm not, you know, the, the biggest country fan. I would say that, you know, I certainly love country influences stuff. I mean, well, actually, I mean, like, I love the Everly brothers. Um, so you could say, you know, that's certainly a strain of country. Um, you know, you might want to set me right on that, but, um, I mean, the Beatles were country. Yeah. I mean, everything really, is, you know. you know, certainly influenced by country, but, um, you know, I definitely, it's interesting you mentioned like some of the sounds of the eighties and the production. The thing that I would say that struck me, immediately was that it to me it sounded like a production or a record that had come out from like the late 90s or just very very early 2000s not necessarily in the context of um what country music was doing then or alt country um but just in terms of the production that was one of those things that actually stuck with me the most as i had listened to it particularly the first time but also uh on subsequent listenings um and as a general thought also you know i certainly liked um some of the songs she certainly can write songs which is good and certainly has a great voice which he uses to uh i know she was born in ohio i think but she uses you know sort of a i don't know if it's considered like a honky tonk sort of inflection or you know bending of notes and whatnot she uses that flavor a lot and she certainly like I said, has a strong voice and is very good at it. So I think um, that's definitely something, uh, again, with the songs that, you know, stands out in, you know, in a good way for her and the record. Yeah. And, and, and in Ohio, like Jason's from Indiana, and I bet he'd tell you that the, the South might start I, uh, farther farther north than you think. <laughs> so you think. I actually, I have a dual perspective here. I was born in Ohio. And I know quite a few Ohio hillbillies. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, did, I didn't yeah. say hillbilly. I did not say, I did not say <laughs> I, hillbilly. I heard, you, I heard you dancing around it. Uh, no, um, it's it's a bit of a drawl. I really like that it's pretty, pretty clear that she puts it on. I watched a tiny desk of her playing uh, some, I think, earlier songs than these. Um, and when she speaks, it's not very clear. you know. So she is adopting it as an element of her music, which, again, I just kind of love fine. because it's That's fine. Yeah. yeah like, I mean, I, I'm not. Again, I'm not trying to say that it's that it's worse for that. Just like I find it really interesting that she's so become so attached to the like style that she's started that she's taken on a voice. It's almost like when you hear uh, you know beautiful uh, artistic musical voice, and then you find out that the singer is uh, Australian or something, and it's like, well, I can't tell that from their voice, right? Well, you can't tell from uh, Lydia Lovis's voice that she's from Columbus. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, totally. I, want, I want to back up just for a second because you mentioned Trapmaster Replica and Ween. Um, I, I hadn't really, just for context, I hadn't really been in super close contact with uh, Kato beyond like the last 
year or so, you know, after my internship, of course we had, we had communicated during, uh, and it's like, it should be said, he's the most sweet, cordial texture in the world. Um, just all, no, nothing, nothing but, uh, but deference and cordiality. And then I told him, uh, how things were going to go, you know, how I'd reveal your albums to each other. And I get just like one minute later, one, less than a minute after that text, I just get an, a text that says, it better not be trout mask replica period or wing period <laughs> where almost every other, you know what, you know what you can, somebody puts an, a period at the end of a text and you're like, this is business. <laughs> it was right. one of those. I feel like I'm going to make an executive decision. Jason, you're on, you're on the Spotify. We should let, let's play frown land by Captain <laughs> B part. Just because I think people need context. This is the, the classic avant-garde 1969 album, trout mask replica by the legendary uh, weirdo Captain Beefheart. Uh, but yeah, play Frownland's probably the cat more accessible. <laughs> I am so sorry, Kato. I think I've done this to you. <laughs> Here we go. It was like some kind of torture. Yeah, that's the shit right there. <laughs> so imagine Kato listening to this for like 15 minutes. <laughs> Just dying inside and outside. <laughs> Dude, this is good shit. I'm telling you. I also have not listened to this record, uh, but I got to say. Like, it's like a blues band falling down the stairs. <laughs> I, I got to say, Zencaster doesn't do us any favors for how you guys are hearing this, like quality wise. Is that just the song? <laughs> is that just how this sounds? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I don't. Yeah, no. Okay, we'll get off the B part here. <laughs> but the only the only thing I will say, Jason, this album was written score. What? That's no improv. They put that down on paper. B part. He people got their parts. And it, all those guys and it got looked their like parts, mad right? prison scrawl, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but yeah, there's no improv on that at all. It's all it's written score. Anyway. Let's get back to Lydia Lovis. We, we got off, but I figured people need to hear b <laughs> Um <laughs> uh, All right. So I don't know. We should probably play some Lydia Lovelace, not Captain Beefheart here. So, um, well, how would, let me, let me, let me interject here. How would, um, so I, I asked, I, I mentioned about the production and how, I, you know, honestly, it wasn't kind of my favorite. Um, do you want me to, I can bring up a clip or I can have uh, Jason play a sure, clip. Yeah, that go ahead speaks to some of that. I would say that's uh, longer. The second song of this is from, I guess, even pretty much the beginning to like the, the beginning intro. Yeah. And it kind of highlights, um, you know, in a nutshell, a little bit, some of the problems I have uh, with the production in particular. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. So what here makes your toes curl, Kato? Um, it's the, it's like the chunky alternative guitar. Um, and then <laughs> it kind of transitions after she's singing. And, and like I said, the song is there, um, but it has these like electronic squiggles that come in, um, which <laughs> I, <laughs> I find that it's almost no, like dude, it's, it's... you've taken the songs and you've like, look, we need to like, broadcast this to a certain kind of audience 
you know what I mean, and kind of produce uh, yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I get bit. what you're saying. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, I think she's maybe was I don't know consciously trying to go down the almost like a Taylor Swift kind of arc. I mean, it's not it's not as pop as that, but you know what I mean, kind of transitioning from country to a more general audience. But I guess for me, my argument would be that I feel like her songs and lyrics and singing um, are good enough. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely, like, absolutely. I, like I think the songs are there. Um, and I don't, you know, I'm not, I think I'm not as allergic to some of that stuff as you are probably either. Um, but, uh, and I think yeah, some of like, the, the window of that is like, you know, uh, I didn't, I didn't read anything or look anything about it when I listened to it the first time. Um, but I think I might've seen that it was from like 2016 or something. And I thought, oh, you know, okay, this is, you know, it just, you see that. And then I think when it came on and it just, I think some of those elements to me just made it sound like a much earlier record. I mean, okay. Interesting. But, I, but you know, I don't, not to say that I don't know anything in the context of um, the all country scene or, you know, where that album was dropped and, and what, what its contemporaries yeah. were in the scene um, yeah. per se. So, you know, that's just my total ignorance, but I mean, yeah, the songs sure. are, are definitely there. And I think the interesting, interesting thing is, is I think as we get later into the record, so you're talking like, um, out of love, which is, you know, dead in the middle of the record, Midwestern yeah. guy, and I think on, it's almost as if some of those tricks and, you know, whatnot, they kind of go away. Um, and I think you come to, you know, what's my favorite song of the record, Clumps, uh, is, is uh, yeah. number nine. And that is just a straight, and there's, you know, no production on that uh, whatsoever. And I'm not like an enemy of um, production per se, but to me, that just highlights on this record kind of a night and day effect but i mean regardless you know like the songs are there she's got a great voice and you know you know what you mean like the the setting and some of the um some some of the the uh as a color yeah maybe the color of the lyrics and whatnot um definitely shows you know a lot of skill um but it is interesting yeah. kind of i don't yeah almost yeah sort of the two flavors or the two halves of the record yeah let's listen to clumps because i mean clumps is clearly i think one of the highlights it's it's amazing song and it showcases her her vocals really well as well let's just play that because i mean i could i could listen to that for a while that's a that's a really good one people tell me i could be addicted to romance never getting over the excitement of a glance into your Man, when she hits those notes, she's so powerful. Well, that's a great line. As a an incredibly amateur sound, like I like to play around with sound and audio, I cannot imagine what it must have been like to try and level out her voice so that it didn't just swallow the whole track. Because it is so, like you said, it's so full, it's so like rounded, and it's playing at so many different frequencies. I love that. It just, it just adds a whole lot of texture to this song. Everybody dies. 
Yeah, this is, I mean, this is kind of like a classic, just a great song. Like, you know what I mean? Like, a, a song that you just play on an acoustic guitar with vocal, and, like, that's all you need. You know what I mean? I mean, to, maybe to, to your point, Kato. Does any of our other work, does it, uh, you know, I don't know for other albums if they veer in any other direction or if they favor um, any? I would say she's kind of, like, the first album is definitely the most country. You know what, honestly, you should check out the one before this, Something Else. Um, because she's starting to veer a little off the more trad country thing, but it's it's much more kind of garagey and like a little rawer than this one. But I just I just happen to like a lot of these songs a lot, so um, that's I guess why I picked it. But I think you should check out the the one prior to this. I think you would probably find less of a barrier with the production on that record mm-hmm. to what she does, and she's still I mean she's great. Um, uh, so okay, this is a whole. Thing. I, I I was texting with Jason about this, but Kata, you mentioned the song, which I think, I mean, to me, this song is like a really, really amazingly written song and kind of a brutal song. And um, Midwestern guys, which you mentioned, <laughs> um, I mean, to me, it's it's almost like that Ray Davies, like Bob Dylan level of kind of a takedown. And um, I don't know, did you read anything about her at all? I didn't. I just, I mean, only, you know, to see that she was from Ohio. I, you know, I did notice just again to talk about the production that she looks like she produced this record, which, um, you know, I don't know how that goes, you know, in terms of the rest of her uh, discography, but I don't, you know, know much about her. I saw that she'd had some relatives who were also uh, in bands and stuff, but that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, after this album, uh, so she is actually and this, at this time married to the, her bass player, Ben Lamb, who's I think has some really great bass parts on here. Um, however, um, she I believe married him when she was twenty, and he was at least over twenty years her senior. Oh boy! Um, so, right. uh, I, I, Jason, I don't know when. I wish I had the mark of it, but um, like Midwestern guys, especially the like the last two verses of that song are like if if you kind of keep that in mind, especially the last verse, I'm like, wow. Like I said, it kind of reminded me of like Ray Davies when he kind of wanted to be snarky about somebody. <laughs> you know what I mean? Ray Davies from the Kinks, um, who I think you know gets it right. And, and as as you do, kind of, I think consider one of the great you know lyricists of uh, rock history. So yeah, you don't um, um, you don't want to follow foul or find yourself in a Ray Davies song. Certainly, that's not where you thought. Yeah, Jason, can we? Good for yeah, you. can we play like the last chorus and or the last verse of um, Midwestern Guys? Tell me plays on this song dude like <laughs> you know what i'm saying like he's in the studio and like i mean it's a great i mean number one it's an amazing verse because it kind of like 
like even the toss up line, like the lives lost to Natty Light in a tree, is just like Jesus. It's like yeah, harsh. I I just want to put a fine point on that. <laughs> that verse starts with the phrase. Tell me all about 83. That was a long time ago. Will you consider that to say that again to me? <laughs> like yeah, they'd, and then, they've been married for a little, like apparently the, their marriage fell apart during the making of this record. And like you're saying, Matt, yeah. can you imagine, can you imagine like <laughs> getting behind, like, putting, you arrive to the, <laughs> to the studio one day, put on your headphones and start listening to your wife singing these lines. And you're like, all right, time damn. to jam. <laughs> and even just in, you know, like just, I mean, the way she works in like pyromania by Def Leppard, which is from 83 and like is absolutely like what kind of burnout rock dudes <laughs> in like Ohio would have just been absolutely like cranking like their Camaros or whatever at that yeah. point. You know, it's I, just like, it's like, like how can you know how like date Ray Davies could really like set set a, like a stage. Yeah. Like with a, 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 like not many lines. I'm trying to say like, like Waterloo sunset or stuff like that. Like, I think that verse to me is like, it reminded me of Ray Davies. Cause it's like, she paints this whole picture of kind of like a group of dudes um and this guy like with and it's not that many lines long it's only like maybe six lines or something and i think you know the thing i really like about that and again is not you know knowing a lot about her but certainly knowing that she was young it did not come off as simply you know anybody can make an 80s reference and you know an audience these days you know will find it amusing or you know ironic or, or whatever and you know, listening to the song and coming across some of those lyrics and stuff, it definitely did not, you know, come across that as some sort of throwaway um, thing to be cute or to be funny or anything like that. I mean, like I said, the way the scene sets things up, um, no. you know, for, you know, spoiler alert, I'm over 40 myself. Um, you know what I mean? So it, it definitely hit, you know, paints a picture, like you said, for, for somebody who wasn't, you know, for her not being there or whatever is, is excellent. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I didn't really want to like. I didn't. I told Jason that via text a couple of days ago, and he was just like, "Whoa!" Because <laughs> yeah. like, if you listen to the album again with all that in mind, it's like, man, this record seemed like <laughs> there's a lot going on <laughs> under the surface. I think of like this record, like if like if you if you ever want to listen to it again, like one more time or whatever. Yeah. Uh, with all that in mind, given that like they're in the studio together, it's like, damn, like there's a definitely like Fleetwood Mac. Um, kind of vibe going you know on, just a, sure. a quick aside i do there's a, a, a very similar thing i remember every time i listen to that um richard and linda thompson song um oh god it's it's escaping me um totally shoot out the lights um no it was one where it was like uh it's a version from a uh a german or like a, an english oh um, a heart a heart needs yes. a home i i think of what you've what you told me about a similar circumstances every time i listen to that and it's just like absolutely crushing for a song that is already just you know devastating yeah <laughs> yeah so this i mean this record you can tell there's like yeah i mean if you listen to the lyrics like with all that in mind i think it definitely has a um yeah a lot going on um i don't know is there any other like like you know songs that stuck out to you either good or bad i know you you i know you're kind of mixed on the record as a whole but um um you know i, you know, I mentioned sort of like the half kind of waypoint and, and like you know i said out of love and then it goes right into midwestern guy um bilbo and european all of which i think again so the production kind of eases up a bit more and like i think a um a sign of that is european um i believe and this is just a total um, outsider stab, but it sounds like he's playing an upright bass. Speaking of uh, the bassist, no, he d- he does. I've seen. Okay, yeah, and it's he like, oh, upright. you know, and that yeah. was one of those things. Where as I'm getting more into the record, um, it just helped, you know, me sort of enjoy it more a little bit in the sense of like, yeah, this is kind of um, 
the sound that, you know, just I'm personally and the production, I was just personally more comfortable with, you know, letting the songs come out. And that was just a nice touch where I was like, yeah, this is, this is kind of how I wanted this or that to be. Um, yeah, let's listen to European. I think, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a super chorus. Um, and it, this is a good song overall. And it, you know, definitely one of the highlights, I think. There's a light on in your attic, I can see it And it flashes for a dirty boy like me There's a heartbeat on the air tonight, I hear it necessarily there's nothing particularly in the song that um you know necessarily calls for an upright bass but it's just one of those nice touches it gives it a little bit of a a, a hop i guess a little bit of a pop i you know uh yeah a little bit of pop yeah. i guess um but it that's just a nice touch that i think you know maybe some of the earlier songs could have um benefited from i was going to ask you is uh, I mean, I think you know a lot of these songs. I don't even know if people do singles anymore. I guess, but I don't know if any of those uh, songs in particular were singles. I have a guess of which one I think would make a a pretty good one, which in terms of you know representing the album and the sound and everything, which would be the third song. More than ever, was that a single by any chance? I, I believe that's a video. Okay, which I guess maybe is about as close. I mean, singles are so irrelevant for people that like aren't going to get on the radio. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm even, you know, even, you know, girl Ray, they had uh, videos, but I think they even have singles. Just, I'm just coming from that, uh, British English music, um, tradition of, of singles per se, but, Oh, you know, I, I, that's wrong. Actually, we should listen to more than ever. Cause I think more than ever is, is just a really strong song. Um, the video is actually longer, but, um, let's, let's do more than ever. Cause I think, you know, she, she has a really great, I think, gift for vocal melodies. Um, and just vocal hooks. And I think, you know, this, like, I think all her, her vocals are just very memorable. And this is, I think, a great example of that.
What about this one, uh, Scream Single, Dave? Adam? Um, I don't know. I think it was just because it was... I mean, maybe the song, maybe it was, you know, where it was in the song and when I was listening to it, maybe this was maybe the first time that I thought like the song came through a little bit more and maybe I wasn't thinking as much about the production and it just kind of, I guess, you know, as I was listening to it, I, it sounds bad, but maybe I think about like an A&R person and I think, okay, this is, you know, this is a single I can put this out there or whatever, not that I have any idea about any of that stuff, but maybe this was the first time in the record as I listened to it sequentially that I thought sort of that. So that's just kind of maybe where that came from. Um, one thing I, this is just a part that I really like. It's, um, it's on the song same to you. And, uh, it, it's I just, I know Cato, you like a good bridge. I, I know this is probably on the half of the album you're not as into, but I think at one ten to the bridge, I think is a really strong um, segment of the song. Did you, um, one of the things that I think uh, I was conscious of, I think, in the beginning or, you know, the first half of the record was, like, song length in general. Not that that means anything, but I did think some of the songs I thought could have been shorter. Um, I don't know if you ever had a thought on that. Oh, I guess I didn't have that thought. I mean, you know, songs could always be shorter, probably. You know, for most people, it wouldn't be a bad idea. (laughs) You know what I mean? In general. Um, but yeah, um, uh, I guess I didn't think about that. No, but, um, I mean, just like maybe cut off like one verse or something like that or one chorus or something. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe again, that's just like the, the frustrated A&R uh, I, person in the, or, or the <laughs> fact that I, I'm listening to something that I, you know, not initially have any thoughts of or whatever, you know, you just sort of. Sure have a random thought. So but. are you like, are you able to like the front half stuff? Like, cause I really like the song out on love and I actually like that production. Oh, that actually I have written that. down. I, I don't recall that song off the top of my head, but I'm actually looking at my notes and I specifically have in here about the production. I say, you can't tell me it wouldn't be a more affecting song without some of the distractions. 
I don't recall what those are off the top of my head. But sounds, sounds okay. like a challenge, though. Like we should but, listen. Yeah, to let, the song. let's do it. it. Also, this has Jason. This is a callback to a previous episode where I said I liked backwards guitar, and it, like this has backwards guitar. So this is this is my jam. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't have to wait for long for that one to come in. No. Stand up bass there too. Sounds oh good. yeah, yeah. I guess so. Yeah, yeah. I didn't notice that till now. How could love like this exist? Feels more perfect with every kiss. Now you're walking away. I don't wanna miss at all. How could someone? I suppose that's the husband on the backing vocals, is it? Uh, I think yes. he did sing some. I think it was a guitar player more, though. I, I watched some live videos. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, you know, again, I, I'm not sure exactly what I might have been referring to. I don't you know, have, certainly don't have a problem with backwards guitar, but um, I think maybe it was some of this part right here. This, yeah, like, some of the some squeals. Yeah. yeah. But certainly the song does come through. It's it's definitely there. You can you know can hear mm-hmm. it. Feels good, Kato. I knew that you. I knew you'd give me the real shit. Not you know, like. <laughs> I, I can totally. I can now. I hear. I hear what you're saying. You know what I mean. I, I don't necessarily agree, but I, I totally see how. Like. I mean, basically the idea. I mean, I'll paraphrase you here, but like that she does write such strong songs that you almost wish they were just more presented in a straightforward manner without trying to like, yeah. And do extra shit. I don't mean to take a, you know, again, I felt kind of bad when I, I saw that she'd produced the record. I didn't certainly don't mean to take a shot at her, any of her, you know, abilities or what, you know, how she thinks of her envisions, the songs. Cause you know, the, um, it's her song. She can do whatever she wants with it. I think maybe from a, and you, you know, you'll laugh about this, Matt, but even from like a personal standpoint, you know, when I was listening to it and I thought, okay, this reminds me maybe of like a late nineties record or early two thousands record. One of the things that came um, first and foremost to me was it reminded me of some sort of like solo Morrissey record where he puts in like some electronic squiggles or like a a clip from (laughs) a movie or something to try to make things interesting. And you think, well, the song's just kind of there, you know, like, but I guess maybe he thought that it was, more interesting if he ended it with, you know, again, putting up like a random, you know, electronic, you know, squiggle line or something and thought, well, then that'll make it sound interesting. Um, but, but anyway, but I figured you may, you may appreciate and understand that, that kind of reference. Yeah, no, I know, I know what you're saying. By the way, man, our, 
our our man is done. Yeah, yeah. I let's like, let's not go into crazy. that. Let's, <laughs> let's not get into it. It's such a fucking bummer. Um. Anyway, so back to Lydia. Um. I mean, I feel like we covered the album very well. I mean, you know, I, this is a good difference of opinion because I, I I don't I I understand where you're coming from. I personally, I think I just have a higher tolerance for that kind of stuff than you do. But um, you know, and I, I would, would encourage people to. Or you know, her earlier stuff I, I think might be worth your time just to like listen to once, especially the one prior to this, something else. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like I think she was trying to go I think a lot of country artists get that where they feel kind of hemmed in by country and they, they want to sort of like branch out and you know, this was her attempt to do that, I think. Yeah, and I you know, I think uh, you know, anybody who's listening, you know, certainly you've heard bits and pieces of the record, but I certainly would encourage you to go listen to it. Um, cause I think, you know, there's definitely, you know, a lot to find in there and a lot to like, um, you know, my notes and, you know, little, uh, nitpicky things aside or whatever. You got to remember that Matt and I have reviewed zillions of video games. Um, <laughs> uh, and it's just a, yeah, you gotta, a mindset of voice find that we find. Um, so, you know, I, I do like things that it, it does happen. So. Yeah. That's like, there was always a, my internal game informer, like, you know averaging like you know depending on who it was like miller i'd always like knock down like seven five probably or one off the score and kato i might boost up like a half point just because like, <laughs> like i just yeah, knew those guys like the how scales, they Matt. Stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no I, I didn't change the scores i would just for my own personal understanding of like you know kato was just a, a very exacting reviewer you know what i mean and like you know other reviewers were less more just into the the whole thing you know I, I see what you're going for here. Um, can I pitch you guys on a full grunge produced version of this album? I feel like the more I was listening to it, the more I just wanted like real sludgy tones, pitch bends, and some yelling. Did anybody else get that feeling? I, I mean, uh, go ahead. No, I mean, obviously, I, I, I've got there a little bit. You know, I got you know, already uh, myself mentally was sort of down that road, I guess a little bit, but uh, I, you know, I certainly don't know why you would go further down that road. Um, you know, maybe it's so crazy. <laughs> it just might work. I don't know. There, there actually is a documentary called who is Lydia Loveless um, that has a lot of live footage. And I would say Jason, like it might be, I think it's free. It says it's free on Tubi. Um, that weird one. Uh Anyway, but they there's a lot of live footage in there, and like live, they definitely like get a little more wild in terms of just like rocking out kind of stuff. Okay, so, I, I, mean, I was, was kind of waiting. I think, it's, it's, I think it's prior to this album, but yeah, like you know, it's it's a good it's a, it's interesting documentary. She's an interesting person, and like there's some really really good live footage in it. So yeah, I guess it I, might be worth. I guess I just felt like I was waiting for the levy to break on a whole lot of these tracks. Yeah. Uh, you know, for <laughs> and it never broke. It never broke. Yeah, I mean, and she's very powerful. Like we've already gone over it um, several times. She's like got a, an incredibly commanding voice and real songwriting chops. But like, I just wanted to hear her like just scream just yell at one point i don't know it's uh maybe it's just a maybe it's just a personal preference yeah well this was a good this was good i, I was interested because I, I genuinely yeah i didn't know how kato was how you were going to react kato and i you know i i, I that makes sense you, you know just a, so. a final thought and um <laughs> a final thought is i i did think through this you know kind of maybe a little bit to your point, uh, Jason, about breaking booze. I did think about this kind of record of like, you know, I'm listening to it. I'm enjoying certain things about it. Like I said, the songs and the voice. Um, but I did think that 
to me this, like there's a world and usually um, in that world, I'm going to choose to listen to Nico Case instead of this record, which I don't know if, if Matt, if oh. you, you know. Well, I mean, you know, that's a a very high bar to me. You know, I mean, I, I think like Fox Confessor Brings the Flood by Nico is, I mean, that's up there on, I think, the best albums of this century to me. You know? Yeah, so and she's got like a... Th- I, I, would, like, I wouldn't disagree with that, you know. Like a three record, that kind of starts like a three record kind of, I always think of it as like a gothic kind of period, I guess. But um, but again, maybe that's not a, you know, not everything has to be a, 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 a you know, one per one versus a, a versus sort of equation. I mean, we can enjoy everything, but uh, no, yeah. But I mean, they're in the same zone. I totally get what, you know that kind of like country and rock fusion kind of. Yeah, and they both have very powerful voices, and you know, I I, I definitely see where I I wouldn't I I would guess that Lydia Loveless probably has listened to some Nico Case if I had to guess, you know. So I, I see that to- totally. Uh, Great. I don't know, Cato. Can you stick around for some uh, questions? Sure. Great. Well, I've got a few from the MinMax community and MinTrax community. Uh, leave a comment or a question or a song suggestion every uh, time that one of these posts goes up, just a couple of days before we record. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, leave a review on iTunes for us. It helps immensely. Um, coming from Aaron, uh, Aaron says, The rapper Logic just released his final album, what he calls his final album, and dropped several references to video games in the lyrics and beat samples. He even includes a quick bit of David Hayter's Solid Snake commenting on a new form of Metal Gear that Logic is planning. This does sound like the nerdiest thing I've ever heard of. Uh, He always references video games and and anime in his music, and it doesn't feel too cheesy since he actually streams games, but a lot of music that mentions video games and lyrics uh, comes off to me as uninformed nods to arcade nostalgia or stereotypes of nerd culture. Uh, the question is this, do you have an opinion on musical artists referencing video games and do you have any favorites or least favorite references? Um, I can go, hold on here. I got my notes fell down. What an amateur. But, like uh, the first time you num- I know, I know, I know, no doubt. Um, number one, shout out to Notorious B.I.G., Biggie, rest in peace. Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, when I was dead broke, man, I couldn't picture this from Juicy. Ooh. I think that's a classic one. Um, all mine are pretty much rap. Uh, <laughs> there is a uh, Wu-Tang on, I uh, can't remember what song about Wu-Tang, but uh, Inspector Dex says Swing Swords Like Shinobi, I thought was a great one. Um, there's two, though. One in particular, people should check out on YouTube. Uh, the first one is uh, Mac-Man by Beanie Siegel, which uses... Um, the Pac-Man sound, so that kind of like wah, 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 wah. it's like through it's through the whole track. They almost use it as like a hi hat, and then the, like the little like Pac-Man dying noises and stuff are in it. It's a really good one. And then um, this is I don't think ever officially released, but Coco Brubba's B R O V A Z, um, which is actually Smith and Wesson. Smith and Wesson. Um, they did a song called Super Brooklyn. You can find it on YouTube. It's basically like them rapping over the uh, the Super Mario beat, kind of like cut up, and it, it like. It's one of those where you just like, wow, this like works amazingly well. So like, I'm just going to, those are two things to like, listen to. Yeah. Uh, you know, on the question that I, I don't really have, you know, much of an opinion on in the sense that I don't, uh, I, I know what the, I know what uh, Aaron means, you know, you certainly don't want any references or whatever to be forced. So I couldn't say that um, as much as I love video games, I don't, it's not something I look for, I guess, in my music. Um I was looking for this reference. Uh, Arctic Monkeys, they do have like an actual song that references Chun-Li in the uh, the title, which, you know, it's a 
to find some. It's neither here nor there to me. But I was trying to look at this other one that they had, and that it was a it was a pretty good reference. But I honestly looked and looked, and I thought it was like on a a B side after their first record or around that time, or it was like an EP um, from around that time after uh, like right around their first record. But I I just couldn't find it. So if listeners, if you think I know what you think I might be talking about, perhaps um, maybe you can <laughs> email in and we can figure that one out. But in general, it's not a, not a big thing for me. Hey, Kato, I'm just going to interject. Cause like, I don't know if we ever talked about this cause I haven't seen you as much in the last couple of years, but um, I love that last Arctic monkeys, right? That tranquility base hotel and casino. Yeah, I liked, I really like things about it. I really like, I'm glad they just like went for it. You know, like we talked about song length before I did. And like, they just, you know, they just put the lounge, I guess, in, in, in lounge music for that record. Um, you know, it's not something I put on all the time, but like, you yeah. know, when I'm in the, the mood song for four it, stars out of five. Yeah. Four of five you remember that yeah. one? That, that was a really yeah. good song. When I'm in the mood for it, like that, you know, that is a, a singular thing in their catalog that definitely, you know, scratches that itch. I do admire though that they, you know, they kind of go different ways from album to album. Yeah. Know? Yeah, and it's it, that, that's yeah, the kind I, of thing I remember. You know, when the first record came out, I think I told you, like, oh, you know, like I don't know what the band will do, but this, you know, Alex Turner, he'll be doing something, and I'm glad that them as a whole, like he, had, I know he's done like side projects, but I know it, I'm glad it, like, the whole band has sort of grown up and evolved and done different things. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, Sorry, a little sidetrack, but I, I didn't talk to you about that album. I knew you were a fan. Uh, thanks for the aside. It gave me time to collect my thoughts. Um, <laughs> uh, Matt, you told me, I told you a couple years ago when I was going to be, um, I was going to try and get super into Del the Funky Homo Sapien. Uh, oh, and, Protoculture. Yeah, and you told me about this song, Protoculture, uh, from the 90s. And this man drops like serious deep cut references to like Panzer's Y, <laughs> Neo Geo, Be- Bushido Blade 2. Um, I believe he drops a reference to Bernie does, Stoller, who was the me, CEO of Sega in the 80s. Let me read you the line. Uh, to anyone who knew me better, no, I chose Saturn it, uh, first because it's 2D heaven. Bernie Stoller dropped the ball with the RAM cartridge. X-Men versus Street Fighter could have expanded the market. And this guy, Dude. Like, it, it is a fire line. This is an incredibly yeah, good yeah. song. I mean, any anybody listening right now should pause this and listen to Protoculture by Dell because yeah. holy shit, it's I gonna mean, blow your mind. Dell was known obviously for like his involvement with the gorillas um and being in the gorillas, but I mean I have to say like Dell is like a super, super underrated rapper. His first album, I wish my brother George was here. Um this album is off of both sides of the brain, Deltron thirty thirty. Like he like he's awesome. But like I have to say, like, if you talk about true gamer shit, <laughs> bitching about how ram was mishandled by like the executives of a company like that's that's what real gaming's about you know what i mean like harboring yeah. resentment yeah. like fan, from like fanboys fucking yeah. 15 years ago <laughs> about ram you know what i mean like that's that's what being a gamer really means you know what i'm saying I, I just love that so much it's stuck in my mind forever as like probably the leading actual references to video games not like cheeky it's he's just describing a thing that happened in the games industry just in a really yeah, cool dude, line like, i love that so much yeah that one's that i sh- i had thought of that and i forgot to write it in my notes but that one is like that's like super deep like you know you can't fake that shit he know? doesn't have a song called nine nine ninety nine by any chance does he <laughs> no, <I know. laughs> oh man he has he is a he's one about like raising chow raising and that like the <laughs> that little like cartridge thing you put in the dreamcast yeah what was that freaking thing called 
Chow Booty. Oh yeah, Chow, from Sonic Adventure. Yeah, and the um. Yeah, that like what was that was dumb that? thing? I don't. You could like you could see your plays on like the NFL. Yeah, game. the VM uh, v- virtual VM the VM unit some shit VMU. Yeah, VMU, something like yeah, that. VMU. It was kind of like a like a Tamagotchi <laughs> you could take out of the controller. Anyway, yeah, shout out to Dell. All right, uh, let's see. White Max asks: Are there any songs you did not like until you heard a cover of them? Uh, you know, speaking of uh, video games and, and music and whatever, um, I wouldn't say like I dislike this song, um, but uh, I don't. I don't think this is going to spoiler, but uh, Aha, Take on Me, which I can go into the video game thing, or I don't know if I want to avoid a spoiler, but there's a version of that uh, in a video in a video game, very popular video game, uh, that is totally changes my opinion about the song, and that's all. All I hear is the cover version. So, do you guys? So you've now you've now sought about? out. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. I, okay. I don't think Matt would. Um, I don't know that. Okay. One, no. uh, do you now seek that out as the definitive version of the song? Like you're listening to that when when you want to hear it. I I mean I haven't gone and like gone on YouTube and, and done it, but like certainly in my, in my mind, you know, it'll just pop in, and that's the version that'll pop in. Man, real testament to the like power of that where that song appears in the in the game that we're talking yeah, about. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Wild. Uh, Matt. Um, yeah, I have one actually. Um, which oddly, because he's not somebody that comes up a lot. Kato mentioned him earlier. Uh, Richard Thompson, who was formerly in Richard and Linda Thompson, um, but he did an album. I saw this tour. Um, he did an album called "A Thousand Years of Popular Songs," and it was a covers record. And basically, it went from like the first song was like one of the earliest known like documented English language songs and like some medieval um like Italian dance songs and stuff. He's he's not, he's a guitar player. This was more of his folk kind of fingerstyle guitar style. He also has like sort of a rock style. But in the album later, he does, you know, this is like a, you know, 68-year-old man. He does a, a acoustic folk cover of uh, Oops I Did It Again by Britney Spears. Oh hmm. man. And it's it works extremely well, and it also, just when you hear it sort of stripped down, you sort of realize that it's Max Martin, I believe, is kind of, you know, Swedish kind of producer guy that wrote all that stuff for, like, NSYNC and all them. Um, but it's actually a really well-made song. Like, it has almost very traditional kind of, like, pop songwriting structure, which you don't really get because you're sort of, like, you know, when you hear the song, you see the video, you know what I mean? Like, you don't really focus on that stuff. But it was just very cool that and I thought it was very cool because he didn't do it. I really hate it when people kind of do like, oh, like we're going to be ironic and do kind of a like a, a for kicks kind of thing. Like he does it really straight. And you could tell he really just like got into that song and thought it was like really well made. Um, so I encourage like, yeah, it's Richard Thompson's Britney Spears cover. But that definitely gave me appreciation for like how that song was written. Similarly, there's um, uh, Rose Melberg of the Softies and she's been a Printed a bunch of different stuff, but she does a version of uh, Rick Astley's um, "Together Forever." Is that what that what it's called? You know, it's the second another sort of single from that period from him, um, and it's very much in the. Um, um, uh, Cato, could you I, you kind of cut out there? Could you kind of just run that back? Oh, sorry. Uh, another one uh, is uh, Rose Melberg does a version of Rick Astley's um, "Together Forever," uh, and it's very much kind of stripped down in the uh, classic Rose Melberg sort of style that's another one i would say that's uh definitely a song i'm not into jason sorry yeah i'm uh, i'm pulling up my answer um i i don't know if it's one that i didn't like it's one that i didn't know about 
it's a little bit of my of my shame uh panic the disco did a cover of the weight by the band i now like the band is one of the one of my top <laughs> bands of all time i'm, I'm not gonna mention the name oh, of the band man. again they did a cover oh, of it and I thought, man this is actually really it's it's a pretty straightforward fade it was from their like wow. it was from their like organic we're gonna go acoustic we're gonna sound like huh. the kinks era so they were doing a I mean, as you can, a fairly faithful version of that song, the harmonies, the instrumentation and everything. Huh. I would listen to it because it's not as hateful. I do not suck as much as you guys think I do right now. <laughs> wow, I'll, I'll check it out. I just, not, that's not sung by Levon Helm. No. I just like, it's hard for me. No, to imagine, I mean, everything but, pales in comparison. Um, it's, and again, it's not because it's a song that like I didn't like or that I like more now, but like it, I was introduced to the, to the band through this cover of the weight. Uh, so I guess. I guess that's another way to answer the question. I just wanted to see. I guess I wanted to gauge you guys' reaction to that. <laughs> <laughs> that's. I didn't see that one coming for sure. The sleeping dogs lie. I don't know. I mean, I, I'll take your word at it, but I, I, <laughs> that's, I, mean, I don't. I don't need to. I don't need to do much more than that. Just say I believe you. No judgment. Um, I. It exists. I love that you trust me so much, Kato. Uh, uh, who for you is, or sorry, who is your favorite artist that everyone only knows one or two songs by? Um, that's from Jeremy Bull, who brings up the example of Carly Rae Jepsen, who uh, he can't stop but bring up her whole discography when when somebody says, "Oh, the girl from Call Me Maybe." Um, Cato, I have one that you might have too. Oh, okay, so I, I was going to see if you did it. You first. know, I, you know, as we mentioned before, you know, certainly being a lot of English bands, and so for a lot of people in America, a lot of the bands I I like kind of fall definitely into that category. Um, uh, off the top of my head, you know, one of them would be uh, the Charlatans. Uh, you probably know them from the 90-ish single, The Only One I Know. Uh, I was on uh, 120 Minutes all over the place, but they gone on to do, you know, many other things. They even had a good record in a number of years, but um, they're certainly survivors and they've still put doing stuff or whatever. And they've had a quite a long career. And if, you know, anybody... Anybody in the English and the English music scene certainly has known him for a lot of other stuff, but that's that's just one of the many I'd say that are probably uh, that I'm a fan of. All right, this one I picked because I didn't know if Kato would pick it first, but um, this is a band that I, I definitely is regarded as a sort of a gimmick band, a, a sort of a 1980s sort of like one hit wonder. Um, Dexys, which it's a good one hit. Dexys Midnight Runners. <laughs> Um, which they're known for. They're known for the song "Come On Eileen," which was also covered by you know Save Ferris, the ska band in the in the late '90s or early 2000s. Um, so you know that's sort of known like in that kind of flock of seagulls, Duran Duran kind of you know big hits of the '80s kind of. But which kind of will back me up. Their previous album before that, um, "Searching for the Young Soul Rebels," is I think probably like one of the finest like English albums of the '80s. It's a an amazing kind of fusion of like classic soul and like david bowie and you know kind of some of the energy of punk and new wave that was happening at the time and um you know it, it's just honestly got it, it it's such when i first heard that record kind of kind of told me about it and i found it on cd and i was like i was absolutely blown away by how good it was um it's so like yeah and they're they're completely in england i think you know they're kind of regarded as sort of like a bigger band than they are here but um I would highly recommend to check out that record because I think it's 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 really fantastic, um, especially if you like kind of you know Motown and '60s soul and stuff kind of done in a more you know English and kind of new wave way, but that feels pretty like authentic to who they are. Yeah, and kind of I mean I know you're you're a fan of it as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gino is is an absolute uh, floor stomper 
uh, of a single and, you know, really sets the, um, really defines the record. And so, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I, I listen to that record, you know, all the time and you, you can't really describe it to 99% of people you come across without kind of caveating it being like, yeah, there were that band that did come on Eileen, but you know, before then they were, I always remember, you know, as Matt said, they look like a bunch of uh, dock workers, striking dock workers. Um, so that's to kind of set the, the juxtaposition between, you know, the come on Eileen um, aesthetic, which most people know, which is more like the, you know, Gypsy, yeah, kind of Irish, um, I don't know what it was. Minstrel, vagabond. It's just a totally different deal from more of the yeah. uh, Northern Soul, you know, Young Soul Rebels um, vibe of that yeah. first record. Or, God, like, tell me when my light turns green. Yeah. That's an unbelievable song. Yeah, so that's good. Searching for the Young Soul Rebels by Dexy's Midnight Runners, which I believe Dexy's Midnight Runners is also a. Yeah. It's an amphetamine reference, right? Like Dexedrine. Yeah, that's a mod. Like basically um, a- Northern Soul yeah, uh, drug reference. Well, so yeah, go. I got to say what an honor it is to be on the same call as the only two people who will ever tell me to listen to more of Dexy's Midnight Runners beyond Come on Eileen. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I feel like that's a once in a lifetime experience and I'm glad I had it with you guys. Um, what is your opinion on wearing band shirts? Uh, Mexi Flores is asking us the most controversial questions. You know, I don't have a, I like, I don't have a problem with it. I'd say today or like, you know, these days. And so like the last 20, 30 years or ever since I got out of high school, I'd say it's fine <laughs> as long as you don't have the band-aids on the back. I kind of like it nowadays Ooh. where you could walk around with a t-shirt that just says the band's name or like an album phrase or even like the album art, you know? But if it's if it's got the dates on the back, you know, from like the right the Joel Stormfront the tour concert. or something like that. I, I, I don't, you know, oh, that see, that would be sweet though. You have to, you know, come on. That'd be vintage. You can get that at Ragstock, probably. Um, I, I, w- I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. But yeah, I think it's, it's fine. Yeah. How do you? I'm a, yeah, I'm fucking corny. So I, I, yeah, I just bought a Run DMC shirt online the other day because nice. I was bored. Um, but yeah, I, I still, I don't have that many. I have. I went to my buddy Valentine a couple years ago and I bought one there. It was a cool shirt, but it's not real like obvious too. It's sort of this like circuitry kind of diagram. So you couldn't really, it could just look like a cool like design shirt, I guess. And then, yeah, I don't know. I have a few others, but not, not that many. Uh, how do you guys feel about the ones I've seen a lot of uh, uptick in like self-aware ones where it's like, don't not listen to, and then band name or like band name sucks or whatever. How do you guys feel about, about that rather than just like a straightforward here's band here's mm-hmm. music? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know about that. Don't get cute. <laughs> it just means you don't have an iconic logo. You know what I mean? You just don't have a logo then. Like the Run DMC shirt I just got, that's a yeah, fucking classic absolutely. logo. It looks great because it's great. It's just great graphic design. Or, you know what I mean? Or if you have like a Black Sabbath t-shirt, it looks sweet because like they just have classic stuff. You know, I think you're trying too hard. Uh, mortal sin of trying too hard. Um, name a band <laughs> or artist. Yeah, never, never try Kids never try. That's been my <laughs> motto in life. Uh, Harrison Cook uh, wants you guys to name a band or artist that has radically changed your taste in music. Um, their example is uh, that they exclusively listened to 70s rock and roll uh, until after Aesop Rock appeared in Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 4. Yeah, man, those Tony Hawk soundtracks are very influential. I think they're kind of under more. Yeah, every day. Yeah, I realize how how big an impact that had on everybody's musical taste of my generation. Specifically. <laughs> uh, but like more generally what, like a band that's 
quote unquote radically changed your taste in music? Was there one that just like was a huge pivot point for you? Uh, yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I, it's kind of a, it's an, it's an obscure band and I kind of like used to just buy stuff, um, when I was young and I didn't really know what it was. And I think I thought it was like a heavy metal band. Um, it's a band from Boston called Mission of Burma. They were kind of a post-punk band. Um, I bought a compilation that they were, you know, long dead by the time I ever heard of them. Um, but yeah, they, uh, I don't know. They're hard to describe. I think they kind of get at some of the stuff that like, you know, Sonic Youth was doing um, later. Uh, but yeah, they, they, they just had an amazing kind of, uh, they, they balance like sort of a poppy element and a weird element and just like a lot of guitar tonalities. Like R- Roger Miller, their their um, guitarist was like a classically trained in like modern classical. So he had a lot of like, weird tunings and kind of dissonance and it just, I didn't really understand it. And I think I was at an age where I couldn't really like get it. But I was sort of fascinated with it. And I think that sort of sent me down the path of like just underground rock in general, which, you know, then, you know, by when I kind of was coming, you know, age in like the 90s and stuff um, and all the underground rock that was going on then and, you know, indie rock and stuff. It just kind of it was just a thing I heard at the right time. And I think they're a great band. Um, They don't you know, not a lot of people know about them. Moby did a um, cover of their song. That's when I reached for my revolver. That was probably like the closest they ever got to like somewhat mainstream stuff, but um, I don't know. They're a great band, and they really like sort of exposed me to to a lot of stuff that I, I don't think I understood until years later. Yeah, uh, for me, you know, you mentioned um, skating, and it's actually a- applicable in the sense that uh, you know when I was in middle school, you know, I was listening skating, listened to a lot of skate rock, punk rock, stuff like that. Um, but getting more into like regular like i said 120 minutes kind of alternative uh and so for me that artist would definitely be morrissey um i kind of came across at a point when the smiths were done and his solo career was just sort of taken off and it was you know there was definitely a time when i was listening to like you know um circle jerks dri and metallica and then you know with my friends and then you know i also had, you know, the new more, I had like Bone and Drag by Morrissey. Um, and they didn't, you know, they obviously, you know, kind of alternative record, but it was kind of like, what the hell is this? And then you're talking about like everything from the, you know, the homosexual uh, references to certainly just even, you know, his singing style to the music and everything like that. And it was just kind of that, when I mean, you get that feeling, you know, probably more when you're younger, where you're just like, you don't, you don't understand everything like, you know, Matt was saying, but you just, just such a strong allure. And it's almost, it sounds kind of weird. There's like almost like a fear. Um, you know, maybe I'm not smart enough for this. Maybe this is, I'm out of my depth or maybe I don't understand this or whatever, but it just, you're just drawn to it. And that was definitely, uh, that was definitely him. Uh, and again, we're not going to go into any of the crap these days, the racist stuff or whatever. Let's just, that's a discussion for another time, but let's just suffice it to say that in a lot of ways, uh, he I mean, was they were an extremely... impactful band. I mean, like, yeah, the Smiths were for people, you know, I mean, the Smiths were very impactful and that, that can't really like go away. You know, and it, it wasn't all Morrissey either, you know, it was like yeah. Johnny Marr and, you know, so I mean, it's... Uh, no, I agree with you. I mean, Mor- Morrissey was definitely like, especially from coming from a U.S. perspective where rock was very like, um, very macho and very heterosexual. And, and very like, I don't want to say dumb necessarily, but you know what I mean? More like party and, you know, 
drink beer kind of perspective. Like it was, I remember when I first heard the Smiths and Morrissey, it was like, it felt very literate and kind of just different. Yeah. So it's, you know, a lot of people, you know, had that experience or whatever, but it's certainly something that even today I think back on and um, I can still remember those feelings and at that time or whatever, and it's still something that's still very strong. So Great. How about you, Jason? Oh, me? Uh, oh, hell. I didn't actually think about this one. Um, oh, sorry. You don't no, I mean, I got, I got to say, like, again, completely different generation. I, I've already hit, let it rip with the Panic! at the Disco thing. I got to say, listening to, like, Fallout Boy and a few crappy uh, mixes of, like, I forget what it was called, Bulldog Records or something like that, where, like, the band Atreyu was on. And um, Oh, shit. Yeah, like, just having mixes of music like that was really important for, you know, my middle, late elementary, early middle school, mid-high school years, because up to that point, I had listened to exclusively what my parents listened to. And get this, my mom was the, uh, of course, classic rock uh um, Alice Cooper and uh, <laughs> like she, she loves Alice Cooper, still does. Um, and you know, doobies and she's got really good taste. Right. <laughs> she, she does. My mom uh, instilled in me the best music taste I could ever have asked for. My dad, a Greek immigrant, listened almost exclusively to country music. Uh, <laughs> when I, was a kid. I don't know if he was trying to like go the extra mile on with that one, but uh, but uh, Highwayman by the Highwaymen off of the album. Highwayman, and dude, that song, that song is so, that's a, such oh, a I, fucking I love awesome that song. song, and it's permanently. It's a weird head. song too. That's it's, a oh fucking God, bizarre do, song. Do you remember how that song ends with Johnny Cash like exploding in the sky and going to the aliens yeah. in a spaceship? It's like kind of like yeah, like reincarnation. It's, it's so crazy. Weird. I love that. Yeah, uh, this is digging up a lot of shit for me. Um, but uh, it was it was probably like listening to because my cousin got us into it. She visited every once in a while, and she brought along you know CDs that she'd either burned or. Uh, you know, her MP3 player that we got to use for a little while and just introduced us to music that we like, we weren't allowed to watch MTV. We didn't have reg- uh, regular and consistent access to the internet. Um, really, we were limited to what was at the library on CD and what our friends and relatives could bring us. So, um, yeah, I would say it was just that milieu of like the My Chemical Romances, the Blink 182s, the, the Fallout Boy. I would say like Fallout Boy is, is like an enduring influence on my taste in music, but um, it also helped widen it a lot. Uh, so long, long answer, I guess, um, with no pointed, uh, like one specific, but yeah, that, that sort of wraps that up for me. Um, we got one last question actually, uh, and it comes from Cade Mead who asks, uh, what makes for better music and games, chiptune or orchestral scores? Um, I, I really like this question. This is me speaking again. I really like this question because it kind of forces you to choose. <laughs> like, yeah, of course, of course, chip and music fits in some <laughs> games and orchestral music fits in others. But like, what yeah. what are your favorite or the best ones you know of? Are they chippy? Are they orchestrally? <laughs> this just makes me want to hear shit like, you know, like, uh, you know, Assassin's Creed and Call of Duty was like chip tune <laughs> soundtracks. I guarantee you somebody's done it. Uh, I mean, gosh, it's such a tough question because I think, you know, it's certain things are appropriate. I will say though, that, you know, I, sometimes I think video games go so far where they, they all, they often think that like maturity is an art form or, um, you know, art, art, artistry is when they most emulate movies. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily think that needs to be the case or has to be the case. So. I do think it's cool when um, I'm trying to think like we brought this up before, like uh, uh, 
Hotline Miami or something like that. You know, um, it just, are you saying you, you're not a big fan or that that is a big, no, game? I am. I am. Okay. I mean, I think, it, it, I think there's something cool about chiptune in that it's in that old school, like eight bit music in that it's like very native to video games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think there was cool things, especially like, you know, when those guys in the, in the eight and 16 bit era had to like program like on the machine, you yeah. know what I mean? And not MIDI well, and getting, stuff. Like I think that's, there's the, some cool stuff. In the craft work talk, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, early, totally. and I mean, uh, Kato, you, you might not know, but we had an episode a little while back with Jeff Green of MinMax Consulting, who it, it was all about craftwork because Florian Schneider just passed. And uh, like I learned mm-hmm. a lot about the origins of electronic music. And then it's sort of like what you're saying, Matt, when you listen to something like Hotline Miami, it's like through so many filters, that is the same basic concept of music, rhythm and tone, right? Uh, that that was set out by the, by the origins of electronic music. So that's a... I, I guess I guess I'm gonna hold your feet to the fire on it. Are you chip or are you orchestral? Me, I would say orchestral. Um, I just, I mean, I understand, you know, all the what you said, and I respect it, and I certainly remember a lot of that stuff from, uh, you know, my childhood or whatever. But I guess I, in general, it's just not a sound. I guess I kind of, you know, maybe um, react a little bit more negatively to that these days. I guess so. I guess I probably go orchestral. Hmm. Nice. I like uh, I'll go ch- I'll go chip. I'll go chip. Hell yeah. I made a good case for it. We've got 50-50 now. Hey, was that Oscar? Yes. Fuck yes. Oh uh, shit. We gotta I do got a door dash I'm gonna leave Fuck. this in the episode. Matt got a new dog, and it's the cutest thing. Oh, that's great. Uh hold on. <laughs> uh I um I, I agree with what Matt was saying about like how I don't know, I, f- I feel I feel really good about live music and orchestra music when it's used in a really interesting or neat way. Like, I don't know how many recent Mario games you've played Kato over the last, maybe like five or six years, but almost all of them use heavily or or, or like orchestrated and arranged um, live music versions of old tracks uh, Mm -hmm. and like incorporate them thematically or incorporate the same runs and stuff, but in new ways. So I, I, that's sort of a cop out to say like, Obviously, the music originated as chiptune, originated as sound on a board, but just with the new tools that they have and the nostalgia I have for the like actual music, it it's just contextualizing it in a in a new, interesting way for me. Um, I, I would say orchestral. I think I go. <laughs> there All you right. go. I'm, I'm the I'm the lone <laughs> I'm the lone true gamer out here. Is what it turns out. Matt, the first to leave Game Informer was uh, is exactly. the truest gamer yeah. on this podcast. Because I had done it all, man. I, I was so true for so long. I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't be even more true than I was. All right. I had to leave it all behind. Uh, well, thanks everybody for sending in your questions. Um, you're listening to this podcast for free, obviously, but uh, you can at for any, I believe, any uh, Patreon uh, support level at Patreon.com/slash/MinMax with two ends. You can gain access to uh, regular posts from MinMax, uh, asking for suggestions for music that we listen to and questions to pick our guests and hosts' brains. Um, one of the things that we do, uh, one of my favorite things is we ask, uh, our, sorry, I hit the mic. <laughs> um, we ask our supporters. Yeah. I, I'm really, really nailing it here. We ask our supporters, uh, every time that we put up a post to suggest songs for us to listen to and close out the episode with, uh, and this week, uh, we've picked Tim Laro's suggestion of pedestrian at best by Courtney Barnett off of her 2015 record. Uh, sometimes I sit and think, and sometimes I just sit. Um, I have really good memories of this song because I got to see, it was one of the last, in the before times, uh, I got to see Courtney Barnett, Julian Baker, um, and Lucy Dacus 
all on stage oh, wow. at uh, at Surly Brewing. What was it? Surly Festival Field, I think it's called. Um, yeah, which yep. stands out as like an incredible concert experience for me. Uh, do you guys know or, or like this music I'm talking about? Um, I she's definitely. We have a for you know non Minneapolis people. We have a kind of an indie station here called The Current. It's a public radio station, and they're pretty big fans of her. So I, I want to say I might have heard this song. I've definitely heard her stuff. Um, I haven't checked it out a lot. I, she had an album with Kurt Vile, I know, and I, I'm a big fan of Kurt Vile. Um, I really dug this song, and I she's kind of one of those people that I generally seem like I should check her out, and I just never really got around to it. So maybe I'll, I'll um, you know remedy that this week because I, I thought it was a cool song. I, I I totally dig that kind of you know scrappy like you know New Zealand kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, expand your musical horizons, Matt. Exactly. Yeah, I'd uh, I'd heard of her, but I didn't um, have any context for the song or whatever. And actually, the when it started out, I thought, you know, okay, I don't know her vocal style. If you know, I'll be able to how much I'd like that or whatever. But I actually really, you know, got into it. Um, I actually I don't know how. Uh, there's a song Avant Gardner, which came on just like naturally after it, which I actually liked a lot better. Uh, it's a slightly different style, so I don't know which one's more like indicative of her if that you know even applies but uh but in general yeah i I liked it and um certainly i'll probably check out more by her yeah for sure i can recommend almost anything she's put out i'm not a super fan but i've listened to everything she's got and uh it's pretty consistently like really good you probably heard ones that are just left or just right of center on her actual like sound so yeah dig a little dig a little deeper i think you'll find more to like cool um, so yeah, thanks for the rec. That yeah, was good. That we're going to close out with that song, but Matt, I'll let you uh, take us out of here. Yeah, well, thanks, Kato. It was it was awesome just to kind of hang out and talk. It's been it's been a long time. So now that we don't see each other and anyone in real life anymore, it's, we have to just do podcasts. Yeah, it was great. Thank, thanks very much for having <laughs> me on. And um, yeah, you know, as long as it's not uh, beef hard or ween, I guess, you know, certainly uh, never want to talk, I'd be open for it. So. Yeah, next it'll be the the mouse. No beef heart time. and no ween. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, everybody. We'll let Courtney take us out. Keep listening to Ween, and uh, we'll we'll catch you on the <laughs> other side. <laughs> <laughs>